0: A good Tuesday morning to you and welcome to this edition of Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson here with you. This episode presented per usual by our great friends at Bitcoin Well, the world's first and only publicly traded Bitcoin ATM company. We're going to be talking to founder and CEO Adam O'Brien coming up in just a few minutes and a little bit later on this morning. As part of today's show, we're we're going to be talking about fintech, financial tech, with Dr. Katrine Tin. Could Canada adopt a digital currency? Would it make sense? What are we learning in the early stages of El Salvador's experiment? What are the implications of of China declaring cryptocurrency transactions illegal? These are the types of questions that the team at Bitcoin Well faces all the time. It's why we recommend if you have questions about Bitcoin or anything else, look them up right at the top of the sponsors page on our website, ryanjesperson.com.
1: Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: It's great to be back with you. It's good to be in the studio with Sarah Hoyles, Samuel Brooks. We've got a great show in store. We're going to be talking to uh, Dr. Stephanie Cooper, uh, who's uh, an OBGYN, as a matter of fact, out of the city of Calgary, but she's working in the ICU right now. She's one of these physicians that's that's been invited, <laughs> reassigned, maybe, uh, reallocated, the resource, the human resource, that is, to to help address Alberta's surging COVID cases, Uh, over the weekend, half of the covid cases in the country uh, came out of Alberta with 10 percent of the population. And, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about this firebreak letter. Of course, there's so much to get into Uh, Alberta physicians, including Alberta's former chief medical officer of health, Dr. James Talbot, who you've heard on this show several times, signing his name to that letter, calling for this firebreak. Essentially, they're saying we need to make some short term sacrifices to to Correct what's going on right now to, to hit reset the equivalent of pl- unplugging it and plugging it back in when something's not working. MLA Shane Getson over the weekend making some inflammatory comments about Alberta Health Services executive leadership, including Dr. Verna Yu. We'll get into that. And I'm going to leave some time this show, despite the fact that Hoyles has put together a great show with some great guests and a ton of voices we'll be hearing from today we are going to leave a few minutes to get to some of your emails I'm just back from Shuswap Lake rolled in from BC late last night and I checked my email and the inbox is slammed with messages from real talkers that are extremely upset right now about what they're seeing when it comes to the health landscape when it comes to COVID-19 in this fourth wave and so we want to make sure that you have your voice on one of Canada's most subscribed to and most downloaded podcasts. So we're going to make sure that some audience members have their say today. And then a, a wonderful story coming up as we wrap up today's show with positive reflections as well. So we're not going to get you all angry and just turn you loose. We're going to make sure that we find some silver linings today as well this is all coming up we'll talk about the two michaels what a remarkable story they're back on canadian soil this is a story that people have been following for for a long time right since the winter of 2018 when those two were detained after canada did what the states asked right and, and, and arrested Meng Wan the, the huawei executive in vancouver a retaliatory incarceration uh, is what they were calling it with the two michaels well now they're back who made it happen How did it happen and what does it mean? Uh, We'll get into that a little bit later on in the show coming up in about 90 minutes. But as mentioned, we lead off today uh, with the story out of China uh, declaring all cryptocurrency transactions illegal. Adam O'Brien, CEO of Bitcoin Well, had literally 10 minutes in his entire day. And so we said to his executive team, please make him available for real talk. And so here, here he is back on the show. Good morning to you, my man. Thanks for making time for us.
2: Hey, it's my pleasure, always happy to be here.
0: yeah, so we'll be talking about digital currencies with Dr. Uh, Katrine Tin coming up a little bit later on in the broadcast. But let me ask you, Adam, when it comes to digital currencies, this big story out of China just a few days ago declaring all crypto transactions illegal. how does a guy like you in the business of Bitcoin sort through it? what What sense do you make of that story?
2: I think it's a real indication to how good Bitcoin is for a free market or for you know freedom. I think any, anything that communist China wants to ban generally means there's too much freedom involved. And so I think that uh, when you see you know China really, really unhappy uh, with Bitcoin, um, it's an indication that bitcoin is is doing its job. it's It's creating freedom for for the world. On a monetary sense.
0: Let me ask you, I can see for, for the benefit of the people that the majority of people that are going to be listening to this on the podcast, people that are watching on YouTube can see right over your shoulder a big screen and it, and it would appear to me as though that screen is showing the current price of Bitcoin. Am I right? It's right at about $52,000 Canadian. That's correct. OK, now that would seem to me to be somewhat counter in, I, I That would that would freak me out, Adam, because it can fluctuate a lot during a day. Why would you want to constantly see the price of Bitcoin as you work?
2: Frankly, I think it's a good reminder that the short-term price doesn't really matter. Um, when I look at Bitcoin, you know, I've bought Bitcoin at eighty thousand dollars Canadian. Uh, what was it like about eight nine months ago? And I've bought Bitcoin for a hundred dollars. Um, and either way, you know, I still save my money in Bitcoin. And I and I truly see Bitcoin as a savings account. If you look at we've 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 done some pretty good research. We're releasing um, some of that research that we've been. Uh, been uh, studying uh, this week I believe and and if you if you look at Bitcoin and you look at the savings potential, if you put10 dollars a week into Bitcoin kind of over a long period of time, uh, it really changes your perspective and, and the short-term price doesn't matter too much. We live in a state with our existing monetary policies uh, where we're in constant fret of, of investing or what I call gambling our money into into other um, other vehicles because we know the dollar sucks. We know the Canadian dollar will not stand the test of time. And we are are in a constant state of panic, putting it elsewhere. Whereas with Bitcoin, it is proven that it does stand the test of time. Over the last ten years, um, on on that kind of macro scale, it continues to increase in value. Um, and so that's kind of why I think it's a nice reminder uh, it's also just fun and, and creates conversation <laughs> yeah
0: there is a statement for the reason why I ask I mean we saw some price fluctuation in the wake of that announcement out of China uh, Bitcoin fell by about two thousand bucks 2500 bucks and and a statement from the People's Bank of China said quote virtual currency related business activities are illegal financial activities this from the People's Bank of China uh, warning that the the activities seriously endanger the safety of of people's assets, uh, China's national crackdown based on what the nation sees as, quote, a volatile speculative investment and potentially a way to launder money. Are these objections that that your team encounters when when you're talking to people and for people that do have concerns around the safety of assets? Now that we have you here, what would you tell them?
2: Yeah, we call that FUD, uh, fear, uncertainty and doubt. And that's a pretty common uh, I think, belief amongst uh, Bitcoin. I think it's important to remember and kind of, um, you know, compare it to what traditional uh, finance has. I mean, cash will forever be the number one way to launder money. Uh, Bitcoin can be tracked and in fact, Bitcoin and the blockchain has been used in the past to kind of catch the culprits of people that are trying to launder money. So I would say that's, that's fairly disproven. Uh, the blockchain prevails. As, as far as security, um, China is right. Uh, and let me, let me, you know, don't, don't, don't clip that. Let me, let me finish my sentence uh, by saying they cannot confiscate the assets of Bitcoin, you know? And so, you know, from their perspective, from communist China's perspective, I would say it's relatively, you know, not that great. If you want to own and control an entire population, um, giving them Bitcoin or making Bitcoin allowed would, would not be the way to do it. Uh, the same way in the, in the thirties, uh, you know, the government of, of United States made owning gold illegal. Um, And they promptly, you know, devalued gold by 50%. And then, and then, uh, you know, 40 years later, took our dollar completely off the gold standard. And so I think that when we see governments try to contain, uh, you know, free assets or or global market assets like this, um, that's an indication that the asset is, is, you know, putting the government's power at risk, which, frankly, I don't know that we want our government handling our money.
0: I know you've got to go. So do I. But I've got two more questions for you. We're coming up on about three weeks. It's been about two and a half weeks since El Salvador officially uh, became the first global economy, the first world economy to make Bitcoin legal tender. Uh, What have we learned? What have you observed? And, And what are you reading into the first two and a half, three
2: weeks? I think it's still really early in this kind of global experiment. Um, I think that people are gonna look to El Salvador as kind of that case study, the same way that other jurisdictions are looking at Canada uh, with the cannabis. Um, You know, How is it working? What are they doing? What's working? What's not? And so I think that uh, it's still pretty early in determining kind of um, how things are going. But I will say like people are paying for their McDonald's for their Starbucks in Bitcoin. Um, Like this project hasn't been that long in the making, less than six months. And you see these like giant global uh, companies accepting Bitcoin for payment, uh, and you see the country still functioning. Um, I think that's, that's phenomenal. Um, and I would call that a short-term success. I think where it will really come into play. And what's really exciting is seeing the long-term benefit that El Salvador will, 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 will see, uh, from not having their money tied to, um, what the baseless us dollar is
0: there there are so many reasons why i i think so many people are keeping a keen eye on what's going on in el salvador uh most particularly with regards to people that had barriers to banking uh and 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 also with cash transfers coming from other parts of the world and how that's going to have huge implications for people living in poverty quite frankly uh and, and we can save more conversation uh for a later day when both you and i have more time In closing, Adam, we are going to be talking to Dr. Katrine Tin out of McGill University coming up in in about half an hour. Um, She worked with she contributed to central bank digital currency design for the Bank of Canada. And I'm going to be asking her how close she thinks we are to getting digital currency in Canada. What do you think?
2: Personally, like we already have a centrally issued digital currency it's called the Canadian dollar uh, I'm not sure about you but I haven't touched cash in like <laughs> six seven months um, no one takes cash even the farmers market like you tap your phone at the farmers market we already have this centrally issued digital currency uh, a like what we're calling a digital currency is like a blockchain based currency um, while it's still centrally issued it will be more auditable so presumably the government should have 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 more answers uh, and we as the as the citizens will be able to see where the money's actually going and come from but at the end of the day anything centrally issued um, and centrally governed can be manipulated and we've seen that with the canadian dollar i don't know why we wouldn't see that with a centrally issued uh digital currency
0: adam o'brien is the founding ceo of the publicly traded bitcoin well our title sponsor it's great to have you back nice to see your face thanks ryan yeah thanks adam uh yeah it's fascinating stuff in el salvador like two and a half three weeks in uh, and it, and it's been a bit of a bumpy road, as you might expect. There's there's a lot of adjustments that come with it, and and I think a lot of people are having to sort of change their mindsets around it. Some vendors are saying well, we're not accepting Bitcoin, others are particularly excited about it. The thing about Bitcoin is that there's been barriers to banking uh, for so many people, especially people. I mean, it's it's hard. You, you live in Canada and you say barriers to banking. What's so hard about it? You, you got to understand it's a different nation. It's it's a different reality down there. But everybody's got smartphones. Everybody has access to smartphones, which means everybody has access to that type of currency exchange, or that to, to 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 buy and sell, to receive, to trade, transfer Bitcoin or the cryptocurrency. So it opens it up. And one of the really interesting things is that aside from the barriers to banking, and and we'll have guests coming up. We have some ask out for some of the big voices uh, in cryptocurrency, like talking globally, including people that worked with. Uh, the nation that worked with the government of El Salvador to make that happen and to roll that out, pointing out that for many people in El Salvador, they've got family members in other parts of the world, uh, in particular in the Western world, that are working and sending money back to these families. And they pay these heavy surcharges and fees for things like Western Union or whatever the case might be to the point of and, 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 and oftentimes as well. The reality is, is that these people that are going to these places whether it's the post office or wherever else in, in what now feels like somewhat of an archaic situation to pick up the cash from these cash transfers and, and then you've got gangs outside the Western Union that are taxing them again on the cash they just received you know threatening violence people are saying that oftentimes these cash transfers are cut in half people lose 40 50 percent based on the fees and all the other stuff that happens and that's not the case with Bitcoin it's an immediate and rapid transfer And that value, those funds, so to speak, can be sent from one person to another without interference. These are the types of stories we're keeping an eye on as we endeavor to understand it. Thanks to Adam for making himself available on relatively short notice. Uh, In just a second, we're going to take a look at Alberta's uh, COVID situation. It's completely out of control, to be quite honest with you. I wanted to quickly remind you right now that Athabasca University is Canada's online university, and right now... They're back in full swing online and on demand. This is a world class accredited online programs and courses that we're talking about by design, not as some sort of a knee jerk reaction, not as some sort of a scramble to take your traditional post-secondary online. Athabasca U's been doing it for years, helping people better themselves, get up to speed on job skills, re-prepare yourself, you know, reload yourself when it comes to being ready to enter a job market that might look a little bit different than last time. Athabasca U customizes programs to ensure that they're convenient and accessible to people across the country. You can learn more online about doing your schooling from anywhere at AthabascaU.ca also wanted to remind you that our friends at Friesen and brothers invite you to fall back into baking with great deals this fall and if you're looking for a family meal you want that beautiful sort of sunday afternoon type vibe you look out the leaves are falling it's getting crisp but you're not in the mood to cook their alberta chicken family meal allows you to stop worrying about cooking today because for $25, you get the Alberta Chicken Family Meal plus 5,000 Smart Shopper bonus points. And consider picking up a Father Dough Pizza for $20. bucks, 2 for 20 the Father Dough Pizzas for a limited time only. These aren't the frozen ones. These are made fresh. You pop them in the oven at home, fantastic. 16 Friesen Brothers locations across the province of Alberta. Friesen Brothers for more than 65 years has been Alberta-grown, and Alberta owned. Well, our next guest certainly made headlines uh, with a couple of social media posts just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Dr. Stephanie Cooper is a Calgary based OBGYN and a maternal fetal medicine specialist. On September 16th, she tweeted, so the ICU is recruiting physicians and I have volunteered. I'm an obstetrician. My physical exam skills are pretty much limited to below the diaphragm. Now, where do I get one of those heart sounds listening things? Uh, Dr. Cooper then the next day, the next evening, tweeted, I need 50 home oxygen monitors for symptomatic COVID pregnant women presenting to the ER. I'm open to all ideas for access and donations. I'm way out of my league here, as we all are. Well, that prompted a gal by the name of Karen Parker to tweet. A couple of days ago, I saw a desperate plea from a doctor in Calgary for donations of pulse oximeters. And today I got a fundraising email from the Royal Alexandra Hospital begging for money for staff mental health supports and ICU equipment. Why are these critical items being left to charity? Everybody's talking about it, and we're grateful that she's made herself available to us this morning. Dr. Stephanie Cooper, welcome to Real Talk.
3: Hi, thanks for having
0: me. These these are the types of things that we hear about hypothetically, right? Uh, Doctors, nurses are being pulled out of their area of specialty and and reassigned to ICUs. You're the one that we were able to finally put a face to the story. Uh, How has this been going over the past couple of weeks since you made the move over to the ICU?
3: Well, I haven't actually, because uh, as you can imagine, when the OR is actually closed, suddenly there's a a large availability of anesthesiologists and surgeons and uh, residents and fellows. So uh, physicians are not actually what they need right now, um, or certainly not uh, obstetricians, but uh, what they're really needing for is critical uh, trained allied healthcare uh, support workers, such as respiratory therapists and nurses, um, for example. So so I'm on reserve, but I still uh, have to go to the ICU quite often, a lot more than I ever have um, in terms of frequency in that we are seeing uh, a serious and dramatic increase uh, in the number of pregnant women who are critically and seriously ill with COVID-19, this is unprecedented in terms of um, maternal morbidity uh, that we're seeing here in Alberta off the charts.
0: So what when you talk about do you think that this is because of these are these pregnant women that have been hesitant to get vaccinated, perhaps because they're pregnant? Is that kind of the root of the of the issue, do you think?
3: Yes. I mean, I can say that all of the women who we have admitted, uh, with significant COVID needing treatment have been, uh, unvaccinated and all the ones in ICU have been unvaccinated from the very beginning. Um, and these are not in this Delta wave, these are not women with comorbidities. Everybody thinks, Oh, they're diabetes, they have diabetes or they're obese. They're not, these are young, healthy, otherwise low risk pregnant moms who, uh, for whatever reason, have chosen not to get vaccinated. And they have ended up being really sick. And in many cases, they have had to um, have their babies significantly earlier, uh, premature babies than they anticipated, babies coming earlier than they needed to be.
0: What's your message uh, to pregnant women or women considering getting pregnant or to people that know people who are pregnant with regards to getting vaccinated. Can you can you paint us a a very clear picture of what the implications are and and what some of these women are enduring with regards to being admitted to the ICU? I mean, I would imagine you're seeing some of this firsthand.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, what we know is that You know, the vaccine, there's been thousands and thousands of women um, throughout the world who've had hundreds of thousands of women who've had the vaccine in pregnancy, and we have not seen any increased risk in complications. And uh, there's also the potential benefit, which was uh, published in a study just over the past few days, of uh, antibodies being passed through the placenta to the baby to protect a newborn. Um, so, you know, really, we're not seeing any harm, and I understand there's, you know, lots of noise out there and women already feel stressed about pregnancy and you know medications for example that they're hesitant to get the vaccine but when all of our data is suggesting that it's safe then we really do have to think well what are you know the harm if you don't get the vaccine and we've seen that harm um you know seeing moms who are no matter how much oxygen we're giving them their oxygen levels are still dropping and that can impact a baby or a mom that needs to have treatment for severe covid where This is treatment that's not been tested in pregnant women and and is truly experimental. So when we have a vaccine that's tested and appears to be safe, balance that against medications to treat COVID which are truly experimental, but we need to use them to save a mom's life. And it's hard. It's absolutely devastating to see a pregnant woman in the ICU uh, in a medically induced coma uh, with a tube down her throat, seeing her lungs move up and down and know that there's a little baby inside. And I've, um, as a maternal fetal medicine doctor, I also do ultrasound. So to be in the ICU and to scan a woman who is unconscious with COVID and have to look at that little baby is so awful. Um, And to know that that was. Preventable both from vaccines as well as, you know, potentially some of the public health, um, you know, measures that may have been implemented earlier. We could have prevented that. And, you know, one thing I don't think we're thinking about is yeah, we have babies that are born early, we have mothers who have to have this terrible treatment, but, you know, the PTSD of these families is just, you know, just so impactful. And, you know, the other thing is that, you know, when you think of the perfect birth and I am, you know, so... Um privileged to be at these wonderful births on a regular basis, you know, when I do cesarean sections or when I deliver babies. But when you do a COVID C-section, because these sick women are all delivered by C-section, you know, the dad is not in the room to see his baby. And even, you know, when the baby and there, as I said, preterm goes off to the nursery, that mom, because she's COVID positive, and in the ICU, will not see her baby for weeks. So, you know, there's so much to this, uh, you know, managing a woman in the ICU or even on the wards, because some of these people who should be in the ICU or on the wards um, is complicated for the doctors, but the impact on the family short-term and long-term is just dramatic.
0: Doctor, your you know, your, your plea uh, to the public, I suppose uh, asking for 50 home oxygen monitors uh, you know, saying you're open to all ideas for access and donations and then a subsequent response from someone, this J. Karen Parker, who said, you know, the, you know, your plea for donations plus a fundraising email from the Royal Alexandra Hospital. She's wondering, why are these critical items being left to charity? How are you wrapping your mind around that right now? Yes.
4: Yeah,
3: so, you know, um, some of it is not that it's not accessible. It's just the speed of which it takes to get some of this equipment. So if you have to go through certain processes, fill out certain forms, contact certain people and when we're talking about these cases that I mentioned is that we need to move as fast as possible. So some of that was the urgency of saying, you know, we're women are getting really sick and if possible, we want to not admit pregnant women to the hospital um, so can we safely have them being monitored at home and the oxygen saturation monitors were one of the sort of missing pieces of that um, but you know certainly the community um, response was just incredible and I think it really goes to show that the majority of people in the community are supportive of our healthcare system and our healthcare workers and so many people feel like their hands are tied and they don't know what to do to help and so they are looking for um really concrete ways that they can contribute and so i think really that was what you know showed me with this uh with this request and we have more than met our goals so um thank you to everybody Um, and i think we have again more than what we need for our our local area and we're um working on bigger programs outside of the local area but yeah it it shows that people do want to help and that we knew we have to act in order to act quickly we have to to act in unconventional ways
0: Doctor, you know, this this firebreak suggestion, uh, I mean, I, I don't even know how to characterize it. It doesn't even feel like real life sometimes right now. You know, where we see, you know, Dr. Verna Yu uh, representing Alberta, Alberta Health Leadership, I think, you know, telling the public and this, I think, dropped like a bombshell that the only reason why Alberta is able to continue to accept ICU admissions is because people keep dying. Uh, And then seeing an MLA, Shane Getz and a United Conservative MLA come out and and basically say that she's making too much money. uh, And and, and essentially, and we'll get into this in greater detail. uh, I've got my own thoughts on it. uh, Once we thank you for your time, we only have you for a couple more minutes, but essentially saying that there was not enough ICU capacity because AHS didn't scale up quickly enough and see a fourth wave coming. This, as his boss, the Premier of Alberta, said that people talking about a fourth wave were fear-mongering and talking, you know, his issues manager Matt Wolf saying the pandemic's ending accepted. I mean, it just doesn't even feel like real life anymore. But can you give us your observations and your sense of what has to happen right now or what the right move would be to get a handle on this fourth wave, most particularly in Alberta, where it's absolutely out of control?
2: Yeah,
3: um, everything you say is very point on. Um, you know, we could have avoided this fourth wave. We could have avoided the uh, crumbling of our healthcare care system, uh, not by increasing capacity but by recognizing that this was happening before it happened and there was so many people out there physicians scientists um, saying that this was going to happen it wasn't a surprise that this happened from our perspective what was hard was to watch it happening in real time um, so I don't know I mean having the capacity, To me, that just is as a as a physician. So the answer was to have more beds to care for all these terribly sick people. If you think about it, why would we want people to be sick? Why would we want people to be near death? That's ridiculous. We what we should have wanted was to do things to prevent this from happening. And, you know, unfortunately, there are restrictions now because we didn't act soon enough because of this denial. We delayed we as a system or the government or whoever, uh, you know, delay doing something really necessary. And now there is unfortunately only in my mind, in my opinion, only one thing left that we can do, which is to basically shut things down. Um, And that's what we didn't want. I don't want that. None of us wants to have our children out of school and not be able to um, access the businesses that need our support. But now we have no other choice um, because I cannot think and all the people who are anti-lockdown, and I—I I, nobody wants a lockdown. I don't know what other choice we have.
0: Yeah, I—I I, I just. It, it here we go again right and and if it's if it's the right decision and it sure sounds like the right decision because all of the trustworthy people in positions of authority seem to be conveying the same message then it, it sounds to me like there's really no option that there's really no choice uh on behalf of this audience and on behalf of Albertans and Canadians doctor I'm so grateful uh for the uh incredible spirit and commitment and dedication uh and calling that physicians and other healthcare professionals like you continue to bring to the table day in and day out thank you so much i know we've got to let you go right now you have a 9 a.m commitment we're doing this live of yeah. course but thanks for joining us on real talk doctor no, thank thanks for, so everything. Much for having me you got it okay, that's you. dr stephanie cooper a physician uh out of calgary Uh, Yeah, we're doing this live right now at, uh, of course, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Mountain. Dr. Cooper's got a day to get started, and uh, oftentimes we'll get guests like that that'll say, yeah, we can join you for 15 minutes, but I can't be late for my commitments. And when their commitments in hospitals (laughs) right now... We make sure that those interviews don't run late. We're really grateful that Dr. Cooper agreed to join us. I I have my own comments on what MLA Shane Getson had to say just a few days ago, and I want to get to some letters that you've sent us. But first, I want to remind you that our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park have officially rolled out their fall favorites, the Pecan Pie Blizzard Treat and the Pumpkin Pie Blizzard Treat. They'll be gone before you know them, so you want to go check them out right now. The the pecan pie blizzard treat, this is the crowd favorite for sure. It's crumbly brown sugar pie pieces, crunchy pecans, creamy caramel, the world-famous soft serve topped with whipped topping. Truly is a special fall treat. The pumpkin pie blizzard treat, of course, made with real pumpkin pie pieces. That whipped topping and nutmeg, real nutmeg on top. Fabulous. On our drive back, as a matter of fact, through Golden BC yesterday, we stopped in at the DQ there. Not a DQ of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, but stopped in. Buddies of ours said, we've been waiting for that pecan pie blizzard treat, so we made sure to get our hands on a few. I can tell you the Jessmo review is 10 out of 10. You can find them at the Dairy Queens and Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Also, big shout out to our friends at Park Power. I was telling you, I had a chance to talk with Chris Kozowski, the founder of Park Power, a while ago. And he reminded me that in Alberta, he says, you have a choice where you're going to get your internet, electricity or natural gas. You have a choice. So why not take five minutes to compare rates, what you're paying right now to what you could be paying. And furthermore, here's, here's me talking now. This is Ryan talking now. If you're going to get your internet electricity and natural gas from somebody, why not get it from the company that supports your favorite podcast? You can sign up today at parkpower.ca. Make sure you use the promo code 2021-REALTALK for $70 off your first bill. So yeah, back on September 25th, this is a few days ago, uh, MLA Shane Getz, United Conservative MLA, says, you know, somebody's tagged me on a post to draw my attention to the salaries Of those who run Alberta Health Services. And he links to a story on the CBC. Alberta Health Services salary disclosure places current president at the top of the list, as you might expect. He says, for this kind of money and the amount that we pour into the system, I think we need to be getting more bang for our buck when it comes to resource planning. He says, ICU bed levels that were available for the public dropped unacceptably low coming into cold and flu season and a prediction of the fourth wave. Really? He says, hence the crunch and strain on the system. The wave hit, but AHS didn't staff the beds adequately to meet their own predictions. Shane then thanks whoever it was, a private citizen who tagged him on the post. He says, I'll have more to say about this next week. Just like you, I'm not impressed at all. Fresh on the heels of a Dairy Queen ad read, this one takes the cake. I mean, this is absolutely unbelievable. This is the government that told us that shows like this that we're talking about a fourth wave, that we're interviewing physicians, that we're interviewing virologists, statisticians. You remember all the interviews that we had back in May and June and into July, all those interviews where people were talking about a fourth wave. The premier wrote him off, didn't he? He scoffed at them. He said, all these people need to get with the science of vaccines, said Jason Kenney. And stop fear-mongering about a fourth wave, about hospitals being full. If you paid attention to Eat Your Words last week, presented by Prairie Catering, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then, of course, there was that famous tweet from Premier Jason Kenney's Executive Director of Issues Management, Matt Wolfe, who's gone AWOL like everybody else. Remember that tweet? The pandemic is ending. Accept it. Back at the beginning of June. Now the government's line is that this fourth wave was entirely predictable and it's on AHS for failing to clear up the available resources has nothing to do with opening up Alberta for the best summer ever has nothing to do. I'm sure with dropping all restrictions with that obsession of being the very first jurisdiction in Canada in North America to virtually abandon all COVID related health protocols had nothing to do with that. It's on the executives at AHS. It's on the healthcare professionals. And now is the time for a salary review. It's mind blowing, really. And I think it's kind of low hanging fruit. As a matter of fact, I think it's a bit of a low brow argument to start bringing salaries into the mix at a time like this doesn't really seem to make sense. Dr. Bernie Yu makes a decent salary, that's for sure. But when you take a look at executive leadership of massive organizations, you don't pay these people $60,000 and expect to get the best leader out there. You pay in order to remain competitive with the market. And we've talked about this before in the context of politicians' salaries as well, haven't we? As a matter of fact, I don't really have a lot of time for conversations about how politicians should be taking pay cuts all the time, because I think the last thing you want to do is be chasing good people out of politics. I'm not sure I'd take issue with the idea of taking some of these folks out of politics because the politicking, quite frankly, is sickening. It's ridiculous, as a matter of fact, to lay overloaded ICUs at the feet of the president of Alberta Health Services, considering the tone that this government has taken, and the position that it's taken on managing COVID-19. Everybody was banging on the table. Everybody was screaming, trying to get the attention of the decision makers at the Alberta legislature, warning them that a fourth wave was inevitable. And what did this government do? It laughed. It laughed in the face of that pushback. It started selling its own baseball caps on its party's website. Best summer ever. People in senior positions of leadership, you know, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper's kid, Ben, on Jason Kenney's payroll, posting photos of the best summer ever, right, on cycling trips, at the firing range, smoking cigars. Brock Harrison, right, the executive director of communications and planning for the premier of Alberta posting photos with his best summer ever hat, his smug smile with his new profile shot on Twitter. These are the guys that laughed at the idea of the fourth wave. These are the guys that emboldened and empowered people to step out unvaccinated and start partying like there was no worry to be had in the entire world. And now we're going to tolerate them publicly dragging Alberta health leadership to try to take the attention off themselves? Absolutely not. You're not having any of it either. As mentioned, when I came back from my weekend and opened up my email, I was blown away at how many of you have been in touch with the show. Curtis wrote in to say, you know, I'm reading social media accounts of healthcare workers this morning, and I'm crushed at what I'm hearing. Curtis wrote this to me on Saturday. He says, good people being put into life or death situations that they're not trained for. Completely a result of this government's policy failure. Curtis says to the Premier, let me be clear. These deaths, PTSD among healthcare workers, collateral damage that will result from all the care that should be happening but can't, all that blood that's on the Premier's hands, says Curtis. By the way, it's not lost on me and I'm sure it wasn't lost on you either that Dr. Stephanie Cooper, when she just talked to us, said, well, some of the pressure has been alleviated because anesthesiologists and surgeons are now available in the ICU because all the surgeries have been canceled. People waiting for cancer surgeries, people waiting for hip replacements, knee replacements, people that have been waiting for years in some circumstances now being told to wait another year. Curtis says we voted this government in to be responsible to care for constituents. And they have abdicated that duty. He says, this government should be ashamed. As far as I can tell, the moral compass is broken. We need to curb this surge. We need to support our healthcare system and our healthcare workers. He says, this government needs to start making the right choices, lives over the almighty dollar. He says, I really hope that this message resonates he says it's time to stop the surge. Strict measures now. It's never too late. That from real talker Curtis. How about this one from John, who says it appears uh, that the UCP strategy is to let COVID just burn through the province. And the result has been significant numbers of deaths, clogged ICUs, substandard hospital care, canceled surgeries, and children denied health care. Soon, we will be shipping Albertans out of province to die. And we'll have more on that, by the way, what the federal government's doing to step in patient transfers out of Alberta. This is the next wave of stories and the next wave of interviews that we'll be bringing you on Real Talk in the days and weeks to come. He says, if this government is willing to let this happen and unwilling to do anything to stop it, then my only assumption is that the government must be okay with what we're seeing. John says every Albertan that has died and that will die is someone's dad or mom or brother or sister or daughter or son. They are loved. Their life has meaning. They deserve respect. Their death was preventable. They did not have to die. It's time for this government to put away its instincts for political preservation and protect the people they were elected to lead. That from John. I'm not sure that I see political preservation happening right now, as a matter of fact, what I see is somebody in particular driving a political party and a political movement right into the ditch just about two years after he was elected. Had an email from Carla who reached out from Calgary. She says more than 5,200 cases. And where is the premier? Whole bunch of you were tagging me, by the way, over the weekend as though I was unaware that Jason Kenney was doing an interview on Roy Green, Roy Green, of course, a chorus radio host who's quite friendly to the premier. That was the premier's availability. Not in front of the media, not to journalists that'll push him and push him and circle around and follow up, but to a talk radio host who's been more than friendly to this government since inception. Why do you think he gets the exclusives? So Carlo goes on to say, You know, people see crisis in the province right now, yet this government missing in action. People dying in droves every day, and that's because government protocols are weak. Lots of loopholes, nobody following them properly. You saw Dr. Dina Hinshaw Hoyles over the weekend scolding people for editing and faking their not-a-passport vaccine passports you know, suggesting how how disappointed she was and asking people to just stop doing that. It's mind-blowing that the government would put people in a position to be able to do that, an editable PDF. I mean, we're talking about health records. The fact that you can edit documents associated in any way with health records i don't even know how to wrap my mind around it but in this bizarro era of alberta politics it seems to make perfect sense i know people have reached out to the show and said do i have a tinfoil hat on like does it does it make me sound like a conspiracy theorist wondering if this wasn't an accident if essentially releasing a blank template for a vaccine passport if that may have been intentional on the part of the government and how do you at this point suggest to somebody that they do sound like a conspiracy theorist as a matter of fact it's somewhat believable
5: I think is very believable Waiting to really wanting to know What's the update on that I mean they said that these initial passports Were a stopgap measure And that they will be coming out with QR codes So where are they? Where are they?
0: I mean everybody else seemed to do it Everybody else seemed to be able to make it happen I don't want to say Even Manitoba was able to do it Love Manitoba Great people Those Manitobans if you're in Manitoba, you've had a plastic card in your wallet for weeks now. I'm not sure what's so difficult. I mean, it's, it's believable that it's impossible to roll something out like this if every province is having the same issues, but it seems to be limited to here, our home province of Alberta. So Carla goes on and says all these loopholes, nobody following the rules properly, being open for summer was possibly one of the worst decisions this government's ever made. Look where we are now. Kids getting sick in schools, ICUs overflowing, people dying daily. We need a shutdown in order to get this crisis under control. She wonders, why is this government ignoring the problem, thinking it'll go away? She says this letter. Released today, signed by all these physicians, recommending a four-week circuit break to stop the, quote, killing surge. Carla says, these, these vaccine passports, so poorly designed, when is that going to be resolved? Enforcement. Where's the enforcement, wonders Carla. Says, I, I haven't seen anything. She says, I don't, I don't see support coming from the government, just leaving people to whistle in the wind to try to enforce weak and ineffectual policies. We're going to be talking to a real talker, Chef Keith Carlson, who's going to be joining us uh, from Roy's place in Claire's home, Alberta. We're going to talk to him about what it's been like on the the front lines in rural Alberta, sticking to his guns when it it comes to enforcing COVID policies. The guy's being put through the ringer right now. And I'm hoping that a whole bunch of real talkers are are maybe going to make an effort to support Roy's place in Claire's home. That's coming up in, we'll say, about 30 minutes. Carla wonders why the the NHL and the CFL are hosting hockey and football games with 20,000 fans in the stadium. She says, you got to quit pandering to these anti-mask or even anti-vax groups that, that, you know, you perceive to form your base of voters. Carla says, my boyfriend has voted conservative his entire adult life. He's furious and he's guaranteed me he'll be voting differently in 2023. And this is what's going to get the attention of the government. As disastrous as it is, as, as, as gut-wrenching as it is to point out that it doesn't seem to be hospital admissions, ICU admissions, or deaths that will catch the attention, when they start hearing from donors and voters that say, I'm taking my support in a different direction, that's what will impact change. So Carla's boyfriend is among those that holds a bit of a position of power right now. She says, you got to be responsible. And it's time to apologize for creating this mess and start working to resolve it. Watching Alberta implode on the national news every day is embarrassing. It's time to take action. More people will die unless this government changes course.
5: It's embarrassing, but it's also lethal. People are dying. And I think
0: right now people are in a position, people that have been proud Albertans for many years are kind of embarrassed to wrap themselves in the flag right now. It starts to feel like some sort of a Trumpian nightmare where the rest of the country is kind of looking at you going, huh? Had a conversation with a couple of buddies from B.C. over the weekend, and one of them has been planning with his girlfriend who's fighting a, a, a valiant battle against breast cancer. They've been planning to move to Alberta for quite some time. They can't afford to live in Vancouver. They want to get a house. They want a backyard. They'd love to have a family someday. He says, I don't know if I can move there right now. I said, you know what, man? As much as it pains me to say it, if I was you, I wouldn't move here right now. Your girlfriend's receiving cancer treatments. The, the availability or access to her health care is so important for your family right now. I don't think I would move here if I was you. Give it time. Give us some time to, to get everything figured out here, and then we can start proudly opening our doors again and reminding people why Alberta's been such a wonderful place to live for the decades before this government started steering alberta's covid response gina says you know i'm going to go out of my way to support establishments that are doing the right thing i encourage real talkers i encourage people that are listening to this podcast or listening to us live right now to do exactly that and not just by showing up at the restaurants or showing up at the retail locations or whatever the case is whatever the context is but also by showing them support online I'm sure that Keith is going to talk to us about some of the online reviews he's been getting. These restaurants that have been enforcing mask policies, the restaurants that have been sticking to the proof of vaccination requirements are all of a sudden seeing a flood of people online hitting them up with one star reviews, right? These are restaurateurs that have worked in many cases for years to earn high caliber online reviews. So when people from out of town or even people from within their jurisdiction are deciding where they're going to go for dinner, where they're going to spend their entertainment dollars that week or that month, they want to go to the best restaurant. And so they look and they say, well, this restaurant averages four and a half stars out of five. Let's go there. All these jerks now are going online and giving them these one star reviews and dropping down their averages. I mean, this is, if you talk to some businesses, and you may say, really? I mean, online, who cares about that? People are going to see right through this. People know, uh uh-uh. uh, for these businesses, this is a big deal. And so you can step up. I believe that the good outnumber the bad in this circumstance. And I believe that one-star reviews can be met with five-star reviews and yeah let's not get caught up in the stats and point out that that averages out to a 2.5 which isn't that great but the more people that applaud and support these businesses these entrepreneurs these great canadians who are doing their part to help us get sorted the better off everybody will be taking a look at our Live chat. Tony says, I thanked the hostess at a restaurant we were at on Sunday for confirming our vaccination status. She thanked us and then started to cry. Imagine the stress that some of these people are under. I think of the hosts and the hostesses. I mean, typically I worked in restaurants for for, for years while I was going through college. It's the youngest ones that are at the front door, right? They're either busing tables, they're expediting in the kitchen, or they're at the front seating people these are the ones that are encountering all the bs at the door
5: yeah they can't serve liquor so they 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 aren't the youngest ones that are in the restaurant and i think that's just you know a microcosm of what's happening that it's being the enforcement quote-unquote enforcement of the very loose rules are being you know sloughed off by the government and expected that you know individual businesses and these 16 year olds
0: yeah gina says i'm not dining in but i will support with takeout that's fantastic gina Corey says i can only hope that this sobers up albertans and forces them to finally question their loyalties kim says i used my vax passport my id for the first time on friday it was easy yeah me too it's not a big deal but then again like how legit are they I'm surprised. I mean, even when I showed mine, it's just on my phone. It's just a screen grab. It could be so easily doctored. I don't feel like it's legit. I'm happy to provide it. I'm happy to show it. But I don't know if the other people in there have shown fake IDs, so to speak, or whether they're real. Nobody knows because it's so easily forged. I mean, it feels like we have driver's licenses drawn up with crayon. You know, take my word for it. I passed my test. Dwayne says, if this government promised recall legislation, why isn't it there? That from Dwayne. Fair question. Chelsea says people getting mad at retailers is exactly what this government wanted. It takes the heat off them because the restaurants are so-called choosing to implement this passport system. Randy Thunderhorse says, you know what I think? Says, I think the thousands of Albertans that have been affected by covid Due to this government's negligence, should start a class action lawsuit against this government, against these MLAs. Corey says, I'm ashamed to call myself an Albertan right now. I've rarely agreed with Alberta, but I've always stood by Alberta in hopes it could be better, says Corey. This feels like rock bottom. Jillian says, I take no joy at the thought of those who voted for this government being willing to hand things over to Rachel Notley in 2023 to clean up this boys clubs mess in two weeks, they'll be mad at her for not having fixed everything. Shelley says communities are left broken and divided right now. Families are not speaking. Meantime, Mark, who's listening in from Utah this morning, says, I think outdoor events, even with a lot of people, will have a very low viral load. So spread will be low. He says, though, indoors is completely different. If you add in vaccination status requirements, I figure outdoor events are OK. That from Mark You can let us know what you think. Uh, Our hashtag, of course, Real Talk RJ is where you can get us and talk at ryanjesperson.com is our email address. That's where you can send us an email. Let's take a quick moment to remind you that our friends at Westworld Computers, you can shop online anytime at westworld.ca. It was a big day on the 23rd. Uh, just a few days ago, the big launch of that phone that everybody's talking about. This is the iPhone 13 uh, delivery started on Friday, September 24th. So these are fresh. These are the iPhones that everybody's talking about. They've also got the I, the all new iPad mini sixth generation. This is the Mini that's meticulously designed an all-new enclosure, an edge-to-edge screen, narrow borders, and elegant rounded corners. Feels good in your hand. Both the iPad Mini 6th generation and the iPhone 13 and iPhone 13 Pro are available at Westworld Computers, and you can find them online at westworld.ca. Also want to remind you that our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food are going to be making deliveries to customers' doors again this week. It's what they do every week in Edmonton, Central Alberta, and Calgary. Weekly delivery to these metro areas. And if you check them out online right now at granddog.ca and use the promo code REALTALK, they're going to knock 10% off your first-time order. While you're there online, check out their blog. They've got a couple of great pieces on how you can learn more about what a quality raw food diet could do for your dog's health, including this story about enough kibble, time to go raw. Customer testimonials are one thing. The expertise of their nutritionists is another. I can tell you from firsthand experience, we trust the team and support the team at Grand Dog Essentials. Also, a big shout-out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. It's getting to the time in the season where they're going to move to the planning stages for next spring and next summer. It's never too early to start planning on how you will bring your outdoor space to life. If you check out their website, landscapeedmonton.ca, you can check out their portfolio and it gives you pretty good ideas on exactly what they can do, whether it's an ultra modern design, whether you're pursuing natural beauty or stunning stonework. For the last 20 years, they've been doing it all. Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca pretty wild stories over the weekend, including Anime Paul uh, resigning, walking away as leader of the Green Party. Uh, In a tweet, she says when she shattered the glass ceiling, she didn't figure that all the glass would come down on her. I saw voices across the country lamenting how this had all worked out, not just Green Party supporters, but people who believed that People like enemy Paul, skilled communicators, talented professionals, and just to say it, women of color that overcome many different barriers to enter the political arena can so quickly be chewed up and spit out, mistreated in many circumstances like this one by people within their own party. I was curious to know how my colleagues here, saw that story resonate. Of course, Annamie Paul joined us. You know, we mentioned this a number of months ago. This was just days before everything started going sideways with her. What did you make of the story, her resignation over the weekend? It was the worst kept secret in Ottawa that it was coming. Of course, she waited till after the election.
5: I can't blame her. Just watching it. um, I mean, she was just so professional about it. How she she maintained her professionalism uh, through the debates. She really brought brought it to the to the debates and, you know, made a lot of people, you know, sit up and pay attention to the Green Party. Um, she just it was amazing to watch her keep it together, despite all the backbiting and everything that was happening. Um, I'm really sorry to see her leave that that post, but I don't blame her. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, she's she just should have toughed it out. And I don't think that she should have.
0: Sam, what do you make of the story? Yeah, I it's don't not think, a surprise. No, it's
6: not. I don't think there was a toughing it out to be had on this one. I mean, there sort of was a bit of a mutiny going for her for a while. And I remember saying to to my partner Kelly once, "I was just like, you know, her party doesn't deserve her." That was that was my take. It's just you know, she crushed it at the debates, like we just said. Um, you could see how tired and how worn out and how beaten down she was during the election. Uh, I sincerely hope. That she and her family and her mental health improves because of this, and the Green Party's got some soul searching to do because they they messed this up to a colossal extent. I don't know where they go from here, though. Yeah, I as know. a
0: party, like, like, are you really right now gonna, you know, start promoting a leadership race and 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 start inviting people to throw their name in the hat? I mean, based on what? Maybe I can. I, the only people I can imagine that would be, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, jumping at the opportunity would be people that had paid zero attention to what's gone on over the past number well, of months. Well,
6: yeah, I mean, like, who who wants to lead a party that has just shown that they're willing to stab their leader in their in their back at the first moment's notice? Um, a party that you know kind of seems to not really have. Coherent policy principles or an executive that really has a firm direction on where the party is going like it's you know, it's a situation that I don't think anybody would want to step into. And like, quite frankly, I think you're right is the Green Party before they seek a new leader needs a new direction.
5: I to me, I just feel like uh, Elizabeth May, I I just always loved her. I feel like she was yeah. like a, a cult hero. Um, but I have to say that she did not get off. The stage and so she kept You know being able to Add her voice and undermining What anime paul was trying to do So yeah and just i mean Some of the coverage on election night Elizabeth may actually threw Anime under the bus
0: well Did she though i mean she indicated She she provided a clear indication That the two of them don't get along She she cryptically uh you know announced that annie paul and i don't remember the exact quote but something along the lines of she marches to the beat of her own drum she she procures her own advice she she indicated that the two of them had not had open lines of communication i don't know if she threw under the bus do you think
5: well when people really hold elizabeth may up as the person that you know, made and started to really establish the Green Party as a legitimate uh, option. I mean, it's like anything. When you come into a new job, you don't want the person that was just in the job there being like, oh, I didn't do that. Oh, I didn't do that. Oh, I I wouldn't do that.
0: And that's what I'm saying. That's why I wonder if maybe, I mean, we don't know the behind the scenes stuff, but you kind of wonder if Anime Paul maybe was like, thank you. I appreciate the feedback. But, you know, uh, under new management, right? Under new leadership and if you have to and i'm not saying that this is the case but maybe it's the case that there's this sense in the green party that you've got to kiss the ring you know you got to kiss elizabeth may's ring if if you want to lead the party and have the party's support and if that was the case and if ms paul decided that that wasn't the direction that she was going to take it then maybe that was the root of maybe that was the beginning of the problem i mean this is all speculation who knows but what we do know is that she's out and so now this party is is without a leader and and after a I would say, a, an extremely disappointing result, uh, including Enemy Paul finishing fourth in her riding of Toronto Centre. You have to wonder what the future of the Greens looks like.
6: That's another thing that I was just thinking of. Is like, I mean, you look at the two seats the Greens won. They won in Gulf Saanich Islands, which is Elizabeth May's stronghold. And I, as long as she continues to run in that seat, she's going to keep winning. She's very beloved and popular in that area. They won a seat in Kitchener, which was largely because there wasn't a Liberal candidate there. Um, which was very surprising. So, you know, now, okay, they've got two seats. That's not a great showing for a party that's, like, trying to be a real contender. But I kind of think that when Anime Paul lost the by-election in Toronto Centre, you know, that should have been a sign that this might not be the best place to park herself. So... I don't know how much of this came from the party executive and how much of this came from her herself. I think there was a real stubbornness that, you know, having to run in that riding was, to to their mind or to her mind, uh, the best place for her to be, even though it was, you know, a really, really steep uphill battle. But uh, I don't know what else they could have done. I'm like, you know. Aside from maybe taking Elizabeth May's seat or, or finding a riding that historically has been a little bit more friendly to the greens Like I'm trying to figure out where Anime Paul should have run.
0: Yeah, I don't think and I don't think you take Elizabeth May's seat She's kind of the you know, they call her the the queen of Saanich. Yeah, filings, exactly uh, You know in, in a respectful tone and uh, and obviously she she wins there whenever she runs um, You know interesting on our live chat you know tom says i think that elizabeth may held off on undermining or attacking enemy paul by not saying anything if you can't say anything good don't say anything at all i thought there was just enough of a th- there was just enough of a commentary that i think she wanted the message to resonate but didn't want to just sort of vomit out the full story you know it was the talking about elizabeth uh, may. elizabeth may talking about enemy paul I think she wanted to send a message to Canada when you have the ears of the eyes and ears of millions on election night to indicate that, you know, to create a little bit of distance. You know, Elizabeth May herself winning her seat again and May Paul losing badly uh, and losing the sword or having lost the support of the party. And I think Elizabeth May was sort of trying to say with some element of class, if that's what you call it, or at least some a coy nature. <laughs> let me say coy over class. That the two didn't see eye to eye Jill says Elizabeth May had all the brains and none of the stateswomanship she was a smart loon she is an Elon Musk (laughs) crazy Mm. James says Elizabeth May pulled a Jay Leno on Paul's Conan I don't even know that reference I guess when Conan took when Conan over. took over for like five minutes.
5: Yeah. And then Jay Bizzle and then Jay Leno
0: like, basically came Burr. back. But I don't know. And and I get I mean, I guess I get it in that sense. But do we really think that Elizabeth May comes back as leader of the Greens? I think that sets that party back even further. No offense to Elizabeth May, but what message does it send to people? Mm-hmm. We realized we needed a change in leadership. So we opened up the door to a change in leadership, saw it, realized that we didn't want to change in leadership. And so now we're back. Is that the message to the electorate? I mean, people, if you take a look at what everybody's telling us in emails, in particular about Alberta's COVID response, it's that they need to perceive leaders to be empathetic, intuitive, steady, making evidence based decisions that are for the best of those that they represent. That's what people look for in politicians. And I don't know if you would get that sense right now. You know, uh, the live chat, I mean, it's, it's interesting, like. You know, Hope wonders, did did Anime Paul ever have the support of the executive? It sure doesn't sound like it. Gordon says I left the Greens when Elizabeth May got in. I would expect an environmental party to believe in science and Elizabeth May was anti-science. BB says the Greens started aligning with conservative propaganda.
5: I mean that's what that's what was talked about when when Anime was on the show, is that they are. It's not just that it's left leaning. The party, the Green Party is very vast in who joins it.
0: Yeah, I mean, arguably the most. Mm. And, and when you talk about vast, you're talking about... Uh,
5: there's, All across think, the political and, spectrum. And, and, and,
0: and, but, but also, uh, and, and again, this is going to be a major generalization... And so some people may may take issue with this. But but I would suggest that there's not a ton of mainstream middle of the road voters that support the Greens. I mean, I'm sure you can find some. I'm not saying that everybody that votes for the Green Party is some sort of extremist, certainly not suggesting that. But if you look at who really supports the Greens or who runs for the Greens, typically it's people on the far left and people on the far right. There's there's not a lot of sort of mainstream conversation going on people people typically i think when you start talking about uh support that's up for grabs on the political spectrum you would look to the ends of the spectrum both of them when you're talking about the greens some random guy says i think that you know my take is that uh ms paul uh, certainly faced racism and sexism uh, but she also made some poor choices and she's not completely blameless in the performance this election no leader is and I think that's a fair comment and you know leaders fall on their swords all the time and that's part of leadership It's mm-hmm. <laughs> what people are trying to remind albertus premier. I'm not trying to bring everything back to our lead story But that's kind of the point is that leadership means setting a tone setting direction and living with the consequences You are the face of the policy. The leader of a federal party is the face of the platform, right? I mean, it's why when a lot of times leaders lose elections, they're out Not because they lost their seat, but because they've lost the confidence of their party or because the party believes that the electorate would be looking for a change. There's a lot of MLAs. There's a lot of members of parliament that'll keep their jobs representing unpopular parties or parties that can become unpopular because they're not the leader. They're the ones that are there to support the leader. And with that comes some safety. This is interesting here hope says i don't know that elizabeth may was very helpful it sounded like she may have had a hand in causing chaos behind the scenes you can let us know what you think about this i mean uh <laughs> jillian says i don't have a problem with politicians stabbing each other in the back just not publicly fair enough it's a blood sport Jess says, I, I want to love enemy Paul based on how she's conducted herself mm-hmm. during the campaign. She says, I don't think that she should have neglected to address the anti-Palestine post by her staffer, but that's just me. Jess says, it, it's like we've all forgotten about what happened. There, there was controversy around that, to be sure. Brenda says she appears to be very worn out. Let's let her hold her head high. That from Brenda.
5: I just, I want to recognize that she did an amazing, the cultural significance of Anna Mae Paul being on that debate stage and leading a federal party yep. as a woman and as a black woman. That is huge. And I know looking at Hillary Clinton, the person that, that breaks that ceiling, they usually get beat up. It's the people that come afterward yeah and so it's a thankless it, it's thankless and it's it's brutal
0: yeah and and I'm not and I'm not like th- th- this is me picking and choosing headlines okay I've not I've not put a lot of time into this narrative I'm not about to launch we're about to talk to chef Carlson I'm not I'm not about to launch into some some big thesis but if you pay attention and if you look at women of color in particular and the stories uh, and how they've been reported and what the stories have been um, in Canada over the past number of years, Selena Cesar Chavanez, who's been on the show, right? Former liberal MP who told the prime minister to pound sand and who resigned uh, or, or rather didn't seek re-election. right? She was on the show. Great interview a couple of months ago few months ago, you can find our conversation with Selena Caesar Chavanez, Jody Wilson-Raybould and her treatment, her relationship. <laughs> I could probably find a better word to use than relationship, but the, the, the in, in, immense amount of tension and now I think sort of a slow simmering anger that probably exists between herself and the prime minister, Justin Trudeau. You look at Miriam Monsef, who was essentially run out of her riding this past election made obviously an unfortunate comment calling the Taliban brothers. Enemy Paul. Mumilak Kakak, the MP out of none of it. These are just off the top of my head. The MP out of none of it. The exact type of person that we need in Canadian politics. Someone who visibly and geographically represents groups of people that are typically undervalued when it comes to policy, marginalized when it comes to rollout and funding and everything else, right? Saying that she doesn't believe there's a place for her in parliament. So she decided not to seek re-election. I mean, she would have won re-election with a landslide. I mean, she's an extremely impressive, relatively young woman with a bright future ahead of her. But these are just off the top of my head. Bang, 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 bang. You want to talk about like other people? You know, like... I don't know people like me people that look like me is there like a really long list of people that look like me that have been brutalized by their parties by the electorate by their political opponents I mean not really not outside of the usual politicking not aside from the stuff that you typically come to expect in politics I mean that's just a fact And it's something that I think is important that we really think about and that we pay close attention to and that we talk about, even if it makes us uncomfortable. It's funny, right? Conversations like these, you feel like you got to kind of tread kind of carefully because you don't. And and then every once in a while, you got to say, fuck it. Let's just say what we think. Let's have some real talk. And that's why we're so grateful that those of you that show up every single day, downloading this show, showing up live and participating in this discussion we're so grateful that you're here for it this is where we're going to make progress this is where we come to seek understanding and hammer things out hope says yeah i'm not i don't know so much about jody wilson raybold you, you know she testified on the oath saying nothing okay sure and, and, and there's nuance to every single one of those scenarios that I named. I'm just saying it's telling that off the top of my head, I can name five or six with no notes in front of me. Women of color that have found themselves running into barriers in politics when you can't do the same. I mean, there's a lot of people like me that run into political barriers because they behave like absolute morons and because they deserve to. And that's not what we're necessarily talking about here a lot of you and i think that you know this this is a fair point a lot of you are, are are wondering questioning the wisdom of enemy paul running in toronto center obviously a liberal stronghold riding and i think that there's room for conversation on that it was a bold move but imagine if she would have won that riding i mean imagine the statement that would have made the green party leader is representing the people of toronto center you may roll your eyes and say yeah but she didn't. She didn't come even close and you would not be wrong. But it's a fair question to ask.
5: When when you look at that though, you you see that the they're trying to grow the party. So if we just go back to the places if we just go back to the well, maybe this place which we spoken about earlier that it was it she would not take over Elizabeth May's riding and spot. But the whole point is to try to grow the party. And so if she's not doing that and doing that, you know, in a very definitive way, then what the heck is she doing? I mean, yeah, it it was a tough one. It was a tough one. I don't dispute that. I just think it was that is only like a fraction of what she was coming up against.
0: Kim says women can make no mistakes. Right. She says, look at look at Allison Redford. Um, And you might want to throw Rachel Notley in there, too. I think it's fair to say. She says women as visible minorities can make zero mistakes and must be a thousand percent more qualified. Men can be the worst and still get elected. Kim says it's disgusting and so sad. It's a fair point. Always want to know if, if you want to push back on what you're hearing here on the show, too. We welcome your comments. We don't all come here to agree every single day. We, we come here to challenge each other and to and to really hash out how we feel about something and understand why we do, and, and maybe in the odd circumstance to change our minds. And we're grateful for that. Our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge Jeep want to remind you that they have the best selection when it comes to the Jeep brand in the entire province of Alberta, bar none. It's the brand that's been trusted since 1941 and Canada's all-time best-selling SUV, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, is now... Out with the brand new Jeep Grand Cherokee L The Grand Cherokee L Is the first Grand Cherokee With a third row of seating A seven-seater Grand Cherokee And they've got them right now For you to test drive Take a look at At Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge Jeep The best selection in the province At a time when selection is slim You can catch them online By following the sponsors tab On our website RyanJesperson.com
1: Following paid advertisement does not necessarily represent the views of Ryan Jesperson, Real Talk, or Relay Communications Group Incorporated. It's time for a fresh perspective. Edmonton deserves a leader who will work for you and with you. Someone who understands the strengths of our community to do things better and faster. Cheryl Watson has built her career on results, not promises. On October 18th, vote Watson for mayor. And together, let's build a city that works. This ad is paid for by the Watson for Mayor campaign.
0: Local Waste, you know, every Friday presents Trash Talk. This is an opportunity for you to take what's banging around between your ears, what's driving you nuts, what's elevating your blood pressure, to push it out into an email. We hope bringing some sort of a copacetic influence to your day and then maybe to hear that email read... As we wrap up our broadcast week, Trash Talk coming up in a Friday's show right at the end of it. And of course, the team at Local Waste, we know they'll be tuning in to check it out. They love Trash Talk. They tell us all the time. They also love hearing from you, whether you're a residential type customer, you know, maybe you need a bin for a big fall yard cleanup. Maybe you're participating in some estate related duties. Maybe you're purging the basement or getting a home renovation started. They've got different sized bins and they'll find a deal that's custom fit for you. Of course, a ton of commercial customers, industrial as well. Local Waste has been keeping it local and family owned for a quarter century in Alberta and Saskatchewan. You can get a quote today or explore more opportunities, including expanding their footprint. Entrepreneurs, they're always looking to partner at localwaste.ca. Well, I've been looking forward to connecting with our next guest for quite some time. He's uh, certainly a prominent real talker. He drives our dialogue many days on Twitter. He's also the chef and owner of Roy's Place Restaurant. You're going to be thinking, is that the place I saw? On you Gotta Eat Here. Yeah, that's exactly the place you saw in beautiful Claire's home, Alberta. It's a real pleasure to welcome to the show, Chef Keith Carlson. Chef, thanks for making time for us this morning and welcome to Real Talk.
4: Well, thanks for having
0: me. It's been tough for us to see your social media posts over the past number of weeks. Uh, you've been doing everything you can, I know, to do your part to help stamp out this fourth wave of the pandemic. And it looks to me like there's been some blowback. What's reality on the ground at Roy's place.
4: Uh, Reality is that we spend a lot of time as educators uh, to the public. Um, A lot of times we have some, some folks that don't understand what the convoluted message from our lovely government has done. Um, So, there's a chance that we might have to kindly escort somebody out that has a, a a different view than what what the mandate is. There's times where we sit with some nice old ladies and find a smartphone and help them download their their Vax passport or passport, not to be named a passport, and uh, yeah, try to try to keep people employed.
0: Yeah, you've had you've had some people. Uh, I was reading some of your uh, recent posts, trying to sabotage your online ratings, right? Giving you one star ratings uh, because you're asking people to provide proof of vaccination status at the door. Uh, can you can you tell us anecdotally what that's been like for you, and and give us a clear sense of how big of a deal that is for an entrepreneur like yourself?
4: Well, we've been here for a little over fourteen years. Um, Started off, I, I, I still remember going into uh, I think it was TripAdvisor way back when uh, about a year a year into it, and three days before we had taken over the restaurant, um, the the first advise the, the the first review had something to do with uh, not not uh, wanting to eat there it was like eating at your mother in law's uh, restaurant that had no 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 quality it was it was it was bad um so we've worked long and hard to make sure that we're number one on our ratings lists um all across the board uh that's when we're right on the highway three corridor uh which entails a lot of traveling public uh, and that's how many folks find where they're gonna eat they they sit on their on their phone and google the next town and figure out uh, who thinks it's going to be a decent place. Um, so when folks start bombing you with one stars and thinking that they're, uh, they're uh, affecting social justice, really, they're just affecting people's livelihoods. Uh, so I've, I've actually got my other computer right over here that has a little Word document that we just click and and paste into the the section with our with our review sites and say this is another covid related issue and can you please remove it i think we've removed about 50 so far but um it 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 is what it is people people have their ability to sit behind their computers and talk as they wish
0: well and i'm i'm confident that this interview and that our conversation keith will be somewhat of a rallying call uh, for people that can push support in the opposite direction, for people that can award you the five star reviews. Now, I know you'd you'd rather have them uh, entering those reviews based on a positive experience at the restaurant as opposed to a bunch of people across the province simply chiming in online and rating something that they have no experience with. What have the I mean, the past eighteen months or so been like for you, down in Clasome, obviously, it's been difficult. The pandemic has. Uh, I'm not saying anything new here. For thousands and thousands of people, including tours. how have you kept your head above water? How have you managed?
4: Well, the nice thing is that no bank wants um, a thousand restaurants on their books, uh, so so they're willing to give money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we've 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 gone into debt. Um, when it's all said and done, uh, we've extended our our payoff period by about another two and a half three years um which means that uh, it affects the the kids' uh school funds and and everything else uh, just like everybody else dealing with the, with the pandemic we've got we've got some challenges um but in the end we've we've gone through every every motion uh, uh before our wise leaders uh, had said that we were now over and done with. Uh, we opened up our patio um, as soon as we we got clearance to, re, to reset the the outdoor dining room um, and go inside. Nobody wanted that. Uh, sitting on pavement in plus 30 weather for a month, uh, uh, folks would rather have been in the dining room. We cleared that to the side. We, we've done resets. We've done... Uh, meal packages. We've done everything. Uh, we've hired and laid off staff three times. Um, I've had, um, the biggest heartbreak out of everything is we pride ourselves in training the next generation. Uh, so we've always got a couple of journeymen going, um, trying to get their papers, uh, get the red seal. Um, one of my gentlemen had just finished one was in his third year after, after the second round of layoffs, um, they're now construction workers and, and one's doing some cleanup on a construction site. Uh, the sacrifices that you make doing, doing food service and hospitality, uh, involves nights. It involves weekends. Um, it's a lifestyle choice for a lot of, a lot of folks. Um, and, and, generally we like we like to make people smile so when we can make people smile that's 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 a pretty big thing for us we're we're kind of a motley motley group that uh, uh, we we need we need to make people have a better better life than than where they're at uh, so so generally it it works out pretty well and our our customer base has been fantastic. We've got folks that do four hundred kilometer round trips to come out on a on a this is a saturday to get a a cinnamon bun and 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 have brandy harass them um it's it's yeah we just we we can't take take too much too seriously otherwise the job's just not damn fun and yeah. and by, by by god we we better make things fun for people otherwise this this pandemic is just going to be a big pile of poop
0: well, it, it, it kind of already is, it feels like, but, but I appreciate your optimism. Who's Brandy? Uh, Brandy's my wife. Brandy's your wife. Okay. And and these cinnamon buns, that, that's what everybody, That my understanding, the cinnamon buns are kind of what landed you on TV in the first place. And anytime that anybody talks about Roy's Place, everybody talks about the cinnamon buns. Uh, do you care to divulge what the secret is? Um,
4: The secret is five kilos of brown sugar and three kilos of butter. Um, That's, that's the start of it. Um, Other than that, it's just a little bit of love and some really bad marketing. It really, (laughs) a lot of love and really bad marketing. There you go.
0: Keith, do you get the sense? I mean, I, I we always love checking in with different communities, and uh, and it's, and I'll be honest, it's been a little while since I was in Claire's home, uh, in, in the southern part of the province. Do you get the sense that the majority of people? I mean, you talk about you know your regulars or you know your your uh, valued customers that'll drive you know three four hours round trip to come see it. But what about the people in your hometown? What about the people there? Do you get the sense, generally speaking, that they're buying in? to the idea of getting double vaccinated? Do you have your regulars, your locals continuing to show up and provide that proof? Or, or sometimes do you feel like you're on a bit of an island? What's it like down there?
4: It's it's like every other place. Um, you've, you've got your 70-30 split. Um, sometimes it feels like the 30% are much more vocal. Um, however, the demographics of my town, we are... Oh, what did we do in town council? I believe our average age was in that fifty-eight year mark. Um, so, so we're we're a fairly aged population. Uh, we, for a long time, uh, we were uh, uh, wanting to be a retirement town. Uh, now, now with what we've been concentrating on and bringing industry into town and working with intermunicipal collaborations and so on and so forth, we're we're, we're starting to drive industry and making this kind of a it's as hip as me. The Clearsome's as hip as Keith Carlson. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're, we're going in the right direction and people's attitudes are, are in that, in that same, same vein, right? Um, of course, you're always going to get what, what uh, our downtown urbanites would, would, would say are, are those hillbilly, folks that are in the foothills with their cows and they don't know anything. Um, those hillbillies are usually the ones that are actually driving the vaccine push. Um, they want things to get back to normal. They want stability in their pricing. And, and when we've got to drive an hour and a half to go to Calgary to get a part, um, we want to ensure that we can sit down in a restaurant as well. We don't want to see see things closed uh it it's it's more progressive than some would think. Keith, ultimately, what would you like to see
0: this government do? I mean, you're you're operating as best you can under policy that has been established. Obviously, you can make some decisions on your own as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. But the, the majority of people that I hear from say in order for us to be able to deflect a lot of this criticism, it's better if we're following government policy As opposed to trying to implement our own policy we've got very prominent voices over the weekend calling for what they're calling a fire break uh and i hesitate to use the word lockdown but it's it's basically yeah yet another shutdown of sorts uh limitations that would be introduced to try to stop the spread of these covid cases as mentioned earlier in the show 50 percent of the new cases in canada Over the weekend, we're from Alberta, 50 percent from a province that has 10 percent of Canada's population. We're not messing around right now. What would you as an entrepreneur and someone who I know is paying keen attention to political policy and who has a very good idea of how that translates into economic impact? What would you like to see?
4: Well, I'd like Mr. Kennedy to stop being an axe. That would be that would be a. General Help um, leaders that don't lead uh, are leaders that don't listen to people that know more than them. Um, and it's a systematic problem straight through through this whole provincial government. Uh, I can't be more disappointed. Um, that being said, I I fully support a, a fire break, a lockdown, whatever you want to call it. Um, our businesses are already suffering. Uh, we're not making a profit being open. We are protecting the people's jobs that are currently coming in. Um, so for the business, it doesn't matter a damn whether we're open or not. We're just floating by, trying to make sure that our staff are getting paid. Um, so if if we have to bump across for a four week break uh, with the mandate that whether you're going into a hardware store, a liquor store a restaurant a casino a mall uh wherever you move until we get our numbers up and we get this over with that that you're dealing with a vaccine passport um it's no skin off of anybody's ass when it's all said and done um it's understanding the difference between having your rights violated and having to step up and take some responsibility for those rights and I have no problem telling people that it's time to to admit your responsibilities. Um, we're sick and tired of of uh, skating through, trying to keep people's jobs. Um, we'd like to get back to normal, and we'd like to make things happen. Um, so much so that I've 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 said I, I will run as MLA in our our next election in 2023 if that's that's viable. Um, because you,
0: you've uh, did our, I did I see correctly Keith that you've picked a party did I see that you've you, I, I, you're with the Alberta I, party I, is that
4: right I am I am with the Alberta party and I am I, I, I can't be more happy than having Barry on as a leader um, there's a gentleman that has uh, some some actual class um, some leadership skills uh, understands both rural and urban um, it's it's. There, there's definitely a space for those folks that aren't on the fringe of things to to make common sense decisions and and listen to the people that are smarter than myself I can learn from people and I don't have to talk down to people and our, our leaders that that are currently in power talk down to people that are telling them what is happening versus, Uh, listening to what they need to be doing um and and that's not leadership that's that's there's there's no no word that I want to say on the radio right now that 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 I that I could say. Well, <laughs> you know, Keith,
0: the good news is is you're not on you're not on the radio, so you can say whatever you like, yeah, pal. I'm, yeah. So he's a, he's a, he's a fucktard. How's that? Okay. Well, I mean, you 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 went straight to ten out of ten on that one. Keith, I, I apologize. but is, That's all I've got left. This, this is a, this is a this is a bit of a rude question, uh, but I'm just curious because uh, because it's how I gauge how people's affiliations are changing, how their perspectives are changing.
4: Did you vote for the Alberta party last election? Hesitantly, it was the first time I did. Um, Strictly because I've watched Mr. Kenny um, through, through the federal issues and as immigration minister and dealing with the uh, uh, foreign workers in the past. Um, and his lack of accountability in, in a few situations on that, um, maybe I had a, a, a little better insight dealing with him directly, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend them to a, a church board, no less anything else, but that's, that's just kind of how it is.
0: I know that your, your staff needs you to get back to running your restaurant. So we're going to let you go, okay. but before we do Keith, I want to let you know that Tracy is watching here live, and she says, good job. She says, Keith, you have respect, integrity, accountability, and hopefully growing revenues. Tracy says, we just need to spread the word. And Catherine O'Neill, the CEO of the YWCA, has just sent me a, a private message to my personal phone. And she says, the dill pickle soup and the Rubens at Roy's are top shelf, I Love that place. So there you have it. Hello. All about you. You're about more than the cinnamon buns, my man. It's good to see you on the show. Thanks for making time for us, Keith.
4: We appreciate you, young man.
0: Keep it up. Yeah, you got it. That's Keith Carlson. He's the chef and owner at Roy's place in Claire's home, Alberta. I don't want to encourage a bunch of people to go and leave him five star reviews without going there, because I just think that that's not really the point. And as a matter of fact, I think it bastardizes the online review even more to be doing that. Um, I do think it's interesting that he says more than 50 times he's had to reach out to whatever the company is, whether it's Yelp or whoever else. And and he says they've got this canned response where they reach out and say, we got another one of these reviews. They're illegitimate. They have nothing to do with anything except our COVID response. Can you please go ahead and pull down this review? I mean, imagine adding that on the list of things you got to do in a day. Running a restaurant is staying on top of your online reviews and, and, and trying to make sure that they maintain their integrity. He's Our thoughts are with the business owners, so many of them that have had so many other things added to their plate as a result of the divisive nature of so many of these policies. What were you going to say?
5: I was just going to say that he actually, during like the busy rush times uh, at the restaurant, he actually sits at the front and helps people... Fill out and get their vaccine cards. Uh, all, like as you mentioned, with the the elderly women that yeah. uh, were in the yeah. restaurant, he actually sits there and he walks through and he's he's engaging with people face to face. So he's doing that really the heavy lifting when it comes to the education piece that he talked about.
0: I love this from Mike, who says, "I'm going to get some of my motorcycle pals and we'll make a rip down for some good food." So, yeah, you've still got a few weeks. Well, and yeah, do you have a few? We saw some on the highway. Saw some guys out. We had the Harleys out. Going for a rip there, bud. You got a few weeks left, and Mike, that sounds like an absolutely great idea. BB says, "Give this guy a standing." Oh, he's calling a spade a spade. <laughs> Human life matters to Keith. What a big heart. James says, "All power to you, Keith." But as someone that's been down the Alberta party path for a decade, consider another party. That from James. It's going to be interesting. I mean, that's the battle that Barry Morishita has has stepped into. Is, you know, they've got basically two years to reestablish the Alberta Party's footprint and help people understand what that party's all about. I know that many of you, the real talk is that many of you believe that Alberta has has evolved into a, a sort of a two-party state, right? It's going to be Rachel Notley versus whomever is leading the United Conservatives the next time that Albertans go to the polls and that any other party... Is going to be in a position to play spoiler but maybe not in the direction that you'd like the good news is is that we have about two years to to talk this out and to sort it out but again i keep putting it to you we're curious to know where you land on this and you can send us an email anytime this is a story internationally that of course everybody's been talking about Uh, just incredible to see the two michaels back on canadian soil Uh, Michael Kovrig, Michael Spavor, uh, since uh, the winter of 2018, detained in China. This after Canada helped out our American neighbors, uh, arresting Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. It was days after Meng was arrested at the request of U.S. authorities that Canadians Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig were detained in December of 2018. Many countries Labeling China's action as hostage politics. China, at the time, accused Canada of arbitrary detention. The two Canadian men were jailed for more than a thousand days. And just a couple of days ago, returning to Canadian soil, some powerful, powerful moments there. Uh, Professor Gordon Holden is director emeritus of the China Institute at the University of Alberta, worked with the Canadian Foreign Service Starting in 1976, he was posted to Havana, Hong Kong, Warsaw, Beijing, and served as executive director of the Canadian Trade Office in Taipei. We're grateful he's agreed to join us on the show today. Professor, welcome back to Real Talk, and thanks for making time for us.
7: It's a pleasure. I'm
0: happy to do this. How significant? I mean, it feels like an obvious question, but I ask it uh, without rhetoric, and, and I'm actually seeking your insight. How significant is it that the two Michaels are back home?
7: Well, it's a huge thing. I mean, this has been a, a national Canadian obsession for very good reasons. I spoke to a couple of times to Mr. Um, Kovac's wife. Um, you could sense the, the pain and suffering of the family. Um, I can't know that directly, but I know that they're, they, they were going through a lot of pain. The conditions were tough uh, in Chinese jails. I've been in Chinese jails, not as a prisoner, but visiting prisoners there particularly the first six months when they were being interrogated under the uh, ages of the Ministry of State Security were, were very hard. Light deprivation, sleep deprivation. Uh, things got a little bit better after that first six months, but better is relative term. No chance to be outside uh, To in conditions that compared sharply in, in the negative what Madame Mung had in Vancouver. I think like the whole country rejoiced when they're back. Uh, let's just hope we're not going to go back into the same thing again. What do you mean by that? What I mean is I hope that China may have learned a lesson here in terms of, I don't think this actually worked particularly well for them. Now, they may feel, my fear, that because of the, having these two hostages, that that was a key factor in resolving the case. Um, but I would answer that uh, Canada stuck to its guns, that it blackened China's reputation in at least Western countries. That's where most of the objections lay. And that uh, repeating that uh, would be a mistake. And I think some evidence that they may have learned that lesson is, there's a over 300,000 Canadians living in China any given day, mostly in Hong Kong. They could have replicated this hundreds of times over as in detaining more people. They didn't do that. Uh, I think that restraint um, after taking those two may point to the fact that they understand this was, wasn't perhaps a particularly successful move. I hope that's the case and we don't end up uh, with another two or three or whatever uh, and affect hostages in the future.
0: There's been some speculation that, that, the Michaels were released and returned to Canada following intervention by American president, Joe Biden. Uh, the white house has, has not said as much. Uh, what do you think happened?
7: Well, it's very interesting. I and mean, it was a three corner of Mexican car hat dance in a sense. The three parties were all engaged. Um, surprising to me though. And again, to me, it was not the surprise of the negotiated, um, uh, the, the, uh, prosecution arranged it with the Ministry of Justice and Huawei. Amazing to me was the immediate release of the two Michaels straight away. And also revelations that contacts have been going on at some time between Canada and China on this very point of the release. Those could only have been happening given there's no high-level visits by our ambassador Barton in Beijing and by the Chinese ambassador in, in Ottawa. I've spoken to both of them previous to these announcements um, they kept their cards very close to the chest, as one would expect. I think that there's a range of factors. Ministry, the Department of Justice in the States has been very careful, and the White House that matter, in saying, no, no, it wasn't a deal uh, involving the two Michaels. We stuck to the issue of the American law. And of course, they have to do that because the, the judicial proceedings in the United States are supposed to only deal with the matters before them, which is Huawei and, and Meng Wanzhou. They're not supposed to be taking in extraneous, bilateral political considerations. However, having said that, the U.S. government is big and complex, enough; they can chew gum and walk at the same time, it would, not, it would surprise me if the fact that the two Michaels case we know has been raised by the U.S. president, we know it's been raised by the secretary of state, uh, Blinken, uh, that had to be a factor as well as what Canada was doing in terms of direct talk. So I think there's multiple factors there. They all came together to a good result.
0: China's foreign ministry says that uh, Mr. Kovrig, Mr. Spavor were were turned home for health reasons. Uh, What's the logic behind that? Why do you think that that would have been an important statement from a Chinese perspective?
7: I don't think it's accurate, truthful, but there is a logic there. Uh, China doesn't want to be seen as having been bullied or pushed or pressured. Powerful, proud country. Uh, They've used this in the past. Humanitarian ground released on humanitarian grounds, released on medical grounds. That's straight out of their playbook, and they'll use that with their domestic audience, uh, who often without access to other news sources will take that at face value. So for the Chinese audience, what they're saying is medical release. Uh, They were ill. Uh, We know that not to be the case. We've seen them on the tarmac. I mean, I'm sure they're suffering. There have to be some scars and bruises mentally from that sort of ordeal. But uh, this is a standard line. Uh, It isn't true, but it's it's useful, uh, useful for them with their own audience.
0: What does this mean? I mean, you mentioned, you know, 300,000 Canadians that at any given time uh, would be living and working in China. I mean, what does this mean for these people, in particular, in the context of of so-called hostage politics?
7: I think it depends. Many of those 300,000 that are in Hong Kong came to Canada, got their citizenship, particularly before 1997 is almost a little bit like an insurance policy. If things went really badly in Hong Kong, some of them may leave now. But the ones when I've seen are leaving, it's very often the ones either directly involved in political action during the recent demonstrations, etc., or the young people who can't really find a, a way. Now, uh, the Hong Kong is a very wealthy place, but if you think housing is expensive in Hong in Vancouver, take a hard look at Hong Kong. So a lot of young people feel they can do better here, and that's probably the case, and they may feel uncomfortable living under that increasing pressure. But I think the majority, as long as the economy stays stable, as long as Hong Kong is a place where they can live a a Hong Kong lifestyle, will stay. Uh, But there will be individuals who will leave, and I do get messages sometimes from people in Hong Kong saying how tough it is, but these are mainly the people who are politically engaged, not, not business people necessarily.
0: How would you characterize, or, or I mean, this may be a matter of opinion, um, but what's your perception of, of relations between Canada and China right now? Is, is this, does this mark an improvement in relations? Does this have no factor? Is it purely trade related? What's your insight?
7: Well, everything I say is just the opinion of one man at the end of the day. Uh, there's a lot of opinions. There are a dime a dozen. Um, I try and trot out some facts. But the relationship has been, really severely degraded by this. It's mm-hmm. like three years, no high-level visits virtually. Um, opinions of Canadians towards China have plunged dramatically. Uh, now, the last poll, one of the polls just last year, 14% of the Nanos poll of Canadians looked at China positively. This is really a, a, a body blow to the relationship. Uh, it's hard to imagine a quick recovery. It's not going to snap back like a rubber band to where it was pre December 2018, and even then there were some real challenges. That having been said, when you're at this low point, from my experience, for example, working on China affairs around the time of Tiananmen, it's hard to imagine, but only four years later, uh Canadian prime minister led a Team Canada-China uh, with a group of a couple hundred business people. Um, nothing is forever in international affairs, so I think there will be a partial rebound uh, but it'll be slow. The trust is really eroded on both sides, I think. So there'll be a wariness. And, and of course, China's politically complicated in Canada now. It won't be easy for the government, even if they wanted to, to go right back to where they were.
0: Professor, there's there's estimated to be at least 115 other Canadians detained in China. I believe four of them are currently on death row. Does this story or does this development impact their situation whatsoever? I mean, I suppose we may need to go through on a case-by-case basis, but generally speaking, what's your take?
7: Well, generally speaking, and I believe uh, that all four of those Canadians were on death row. These are all drug charges. Um, Stellenberg, the one who's attracted the most attention, most recently, he had what has to be the worst luck imaginable. He had a 15-year sentence. Uh, He appealed... Just before Madame Meng was arrested, and the high court then, on the appeal, changed it to the death penalty. Now, in that case, uh, I've seen cases, well, it goes back a while, but I can recall back in the 80s when China would sentence someone to death after an offense that occurred like maybe 48 hours before, and they'd be executed before two more days had passed. Those days are fortunately gone. Cases get referred to Beijing. It takes quite a bit longer. His case has been particularly delayed. And in this instance, I'm very hopeful that and I have no idea of guilt or innocence. I know that Stellenberg has been convicted of a drug offense and trafficking in Canada before, but I have no idea of guilt or innocence of any of these 115 people. Uh, but in his case, the Chinese have a provision for something called suspended death sentence, where on good behavior for two years in jail, uh, it could be committed to life imprisonment. And most cases where they pronounce that sentence, uh, where they make that transition for the death penalty to suspended death penalty, they actually do commit it to life imprisonment. And that gives hope a long sentence. Who knows the future could be converted to a shorter sentence. On the other hand, China has executed Canadians before who are involved in in drug issues. In China, drug trafficking is a big, big deal. The sentences are disproportionate to what we would see. It's partly history. (coughs) Excuse me. Chinese uh, historically fought opium wars where opium was pushed upon them by foreign powers, including the UK and US. This is schooled into Chinese in their textbooks, in the media, et cetera. So there's not a lot of sympathy in China for the on the drug issue. Uh, but that said, I'm certainly hoping that the death penalty individuals, that there's a commutation there, albeit it would be necessarily the long sentence, they're not going to release them, that's for sure, in my opinion.
0: In closing, do you think that, I mean, in <laughs> retrospect, hindsight, 2020, all the caveats that it was a mistake uh, for Canada to to do the Americans dirty work, <coughs> so to speak, and, and arrest uh, Madame the the Huawei CFO?
7: Such a tough question. And there's you know, I'm not going to dodge that entirely. Um, when I was in government, I had to write two sides of a question and then do whatever the government told me to do. And I got very used to that, taking orders. Yes, sir, Mr. Prime Minister, I'll I'll support this. Um, the the side in fact that we stuck to our guns is important, though, because that extradition treaty, we shouldn't forget. That's what allows us Canadians to go after the criminals who escape from Canada and, and want to hide out in the States. We can get them back and try them. It also allows us to not have to be the dumping ground for everybody who robs a bank or commits a serious crime in the United States, there's a, a way of getting them back. And 99 cases out of 100, it'll never even get in the news. These people get arrested. There's an extradition hearing. Out they go, back they go. They don't have million-dollar legal defense funds, etc. It's not a political issue. Uh, it just functions. And the danger was that you might put a spike through that um, cooperation if you said, sorry, Americans, this is one we really uh, don't want to send back to you. We're just going to push the button. The government had the legal ability to do that at any point. On balance, I say it's probably good that we are stuck to our guns. Um, but that China relationship is still important. There's a couple hundred thousand jobs in Canada that are dependent on trade with China. A couple hundred thousand, and the trade actually, to my amazement, it's counterintuitive, remained buoyant. Last year, we sold more to China than than we did previously. Um, than the year before, and our trade with most other big economies dropped thanks to COVID. Hmm. So I'd like to think we can have our cake and eat it too, stand up for our values, even when it's hard to do, uh, but still take some benefit. We're a trading nation, very dependent on trade, when it's possible to take benefit, um, but not selling our soul.
0: Fascinating insight, as always, uh, Professor. We're certainly grateful for it. Uh, Gordon Holden is a professor of political science, adjunct professor at the Alberta School of Business, and uh, also, of course, speaking on behalf of the National Institute for South China Sea Studies, University of Alberta. We're grateful to have you again, Professor. Thanks for this. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You bet. Great insight from a guy who's been there, you know, dealing directly with the prime minister in past. So he's got great experience having served in, in different roles Uh, since the 1970s including in Hong Kong and Beijing and as mentioned the executive director of the Canadian trade office in Taipei a good understanding of of, you know Canadian Asian relations uh, including this one and we've tapped him on the shoulder before it's great to have him back on the show you can let us know what you think we'll continue to keep an eye on that story obviously of course uh, much of it remains unwritten but we can I say uh, and state the obvious uh, thoughts with the Spavar and Kovrig families, how relieved they must be, their partners, their siblings, their parents, their friends, to have them back on Canadian soil. The team at Kubi Energy wants to remind you that they are bringing solar energy solutions to power your life, including a post I saw on theirs over the weekend. They have a new solar installation in Banff that's powering a new waterfall. How cool is that? You go, solar installations powering waterfalls? They do it all industrial commercial residential on and off grid net zero applications jake and his team have established themselves as leaders across the country proudly headquartered out of kamloops bc and edmonton alberta a team of tesla certified installers you can check them out online learn about their products and services and of course contact them for a free quote at kubienergy.ca Our first show of every week, and this week, that's today, Tuesday. Our friends at Kubi Energy give us a a chance to, to refocus, to find the silver linings. We call it Positive Reflections. And I absolutely love this one. It's our feature today from Robert. Who is in touch with us via our email inbox talk at ryan he says uh, jespo just a couple of days ago on sunday morning we saw a request from the edmonton afghan charitable society there was an emergency need of, of clothing for families that have just recently arrived from afghanistan families who left in a lot of cases with just the clothes on their backs he says once i explained to my kids what was needed they jumped at the chance to help he says with the promise of their favorite shawarmas for lunch, meat pies and yeah, even pop. They were automatically in. Robert knows what he's doing as a dad. He says, so we rounded up a whole bunch of clothes and winter items that maybe we didn't necessarily need or that maybe didn't fit anymore and we headed to Rundle Park. We got there, as listed, and there was already a huge lineup of cars with everything from toys to diapers to clothing. By all accounts, the people from the Afghan society were overwhelmed by the response. He says, I'm not sending this in for positive reflections because I want any sort of recognition, but I want to highlight that in this ever difficult time we're all in and with so much attention given to a select group of fools We could use a reminder that our community is full of good people doing good things for many. He says a special shout out to real talker Fatima who pushed out this request online. She herself was there helping out. I was happy, says Robert, to put my privileged life on pause for a few hours along with obviously so many others. If we want to live in good communities, we need to do good in the communities in which we live. Robert signs off, peace and love. This is the exact type of thing we're talking about when it comes to positive reflections. If you've witnessed or participated in or even benefited from a random act of kindness, somebody paying it forward, something that filled your bucket or changed the course of your week, we want to hear about it. You can send us an email anytime, talk at ryanjesperson.com, and make sure to tune in to the first show every week here on Real Talk as we wrap up with a positive reflection presented by our friends at Kubi Energy. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we welcome the founder of Orange Shirt Day, Phyllis Webstad. And on Thursday, National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, we will present a special episode of Real Talk having the conversations that matter in the spirit of reconciliation across this country. In the meantime, have a great rest of your Tuesday. Make sure you recommend this episode to people who may have missed it. We love when you smash that like button, when you subscribe to what we're doing and share our content. We're grateful for it each and every day. Thanks so much, Real Talkers. We'll see you soon.
1: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer Sam Brooks. Managing director Josh Dunford. Account coordinator Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations Katie Cook Chivers. Website design Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.